Welcome back to another episode of Bench Mob Podcast. We are back for another installment. Of course, we're going to start off by saying shout out to our followers, our listeners, our subscribers, everybody that tunes in. We appreciate y'all big time. First off, happy birthday to Michael Jordan. One person on this, uh, this Zoom believes you the GOAT. Three people do not agree with that statement, but happy birthday to him. We'll start off with... What birthday shout-out is that? <laughs> well, you can give it a shout-out since you think he's the GOAT. We're going to have the person that believes MJ the GOAT is here tonight. Miles, smooth, operator, left-handed, Davenport in the building. You give the shout-out to your uh, your GOAT. Damn, you're going to put me on a spot like that. All right. Shout-out MJ, the GOAT. They made a whole 10-part documentary on one season. Who else are they doing that about? I'm going to just drop the mic right there. Now we can start. Now we can start. They would definitely do that. They would definitely do that about LeBron that when they beat that 72. Never mind. Uh, they going to have LeBron's son. <laughs> I'm joined also by my two brothers. I got Greg Hot Takes, G-Baby in the building. How you doing tonight, Brad? Good, bro. I'm good. That's Nets World. That was a big win last night. And, of course, we are joined by Chris, I got the money bags, Jay in the building. How you doing tonight? Good, man. Everything's good. Blessed to be here and excited for another episode. Facts, man. Um, we got to get a couple dollars out of you. We know you got a bonus recently. You know, <laughs> close to five to six figures. But uh, How you tripping? We're going to start off with some NFL talk again. Atlanta's GM came out and basically said, hey, you need to be bringing in quarterbacks every single year, whether it's through free agency or the draft. Is it safe to say that Matt Ryan's time is over in Atlanta? It seems like he all but said that. Um, what's your takes on his comments? And I see Chris shaking his head. I'm guessing you don't agree with his sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Matt Ryan is necessarily the guy that can – lead that I mean obviously we already watched him lead them to a Super Bowl and uh we all know what happened when he played Tom Brady when they uh blew the 25 point lead or whatever so I don't know if Matt Ryan is their guy for the future but I, I also think this is a case of uh a new GM talking crazy for publicity right talking crazy to get in the headlines and whatnot saying you know no one's untouchable and at the same time he's right no no one is untouchable but at the same time like there's a way to go about it where you don't disrespect your franchise quarterback that you already have there. 
Matt Ryan, you know, he's a leader of that locker room. He's a leader of that team. You know, he deserves some respect. If you want to bring in another quarterback, just bring in another quarterback, right? You don't need to blow it up to to make headlines and whatnot. It's talking about, oh, you bring in quarterbacks every single year and whatnot. Um, and he also mentioned the same for, for wide receivers. And I agree with the wide receiver part of that. And the reason here is why Julio Jones is 32 years old. You know, yes, he's still one of the most dominant receivers in the game. Um, you know, last year's stats didn't reflect that and whatnot. But at the same time, like, you can never have too many good wide receivers. Like, again, wide receiver is that essential position on offense where you can continue to have talent and, and develop year after year and give your quarterback multiple weapons to throw to. Um, and I also think this is a weird time, though. This is the first one, probably one of the first years in a long time where we see potentially the top four picks are going to be quarterbacks. Uh, we, we have Lance in there, we have Lawrence, we have Wilson, and then we have Fields. So like, and, and it's crazy too, because each of those four teams that are, you know, uh, first in the draft, they, they need quarterbacks. So it, it's just a matter of who's going, who's going second, third, fourth, and whatever the case may be. But uh, I, I don't, I think Matt Ryan still has some good years left and, you know, I hope he can, you know, finish what he started with, with the Falcons, but um any one of those quarterbacks that they draft, they're not getting Lawrence. So, right, if they get Justin Fields, who's from Georgia, could make sense. He might not – he's not starting right away if he goes there. Um, Wilson's not starting right away, and neither is Lance. So, regardless, like, Matt Ryan's your, your quarterback moving forward as of now. Hey, Maj, you think that they're going to try to get Matt Ryan on the move uh, this offseason? Maybe trade him? Yeah, definitely. I think that – Without saying it, he's putting Matt Ryan on the block. I mean, like he said, is a new GM coming in, new coach, who's going to want his own guy. He's probably seen Matt Ryan over the years, knows he's been good, he's been solid, but, I mean, this team hasn't really won in the last two or three years. So as good as Matt Ryan's been, it's time for a change. And I know that new coach is going to want his own guy to come in. So I know Matt Ryan, he's – He's been solid his whole career since he came in in what 2008. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But this is just a GM doing his job. He's he's not going to sugarcoat it. He shouldn't sugarcoat it. I mean, everybody knows this is a business. Anybody's not. They're not. He's not untouchable. Basically, you don't you don't make a guy who's 36 years old getting paid what he's paid and not really winning any games you're not going to make him untouchable. I think, yeah, he's got to bring those other QBs in. Definitely look at Fields, Wilson, Lance. I mean, you keep Matt Ryan to help bridge that gap for the quarterback for that first year, but that depends on what the coach wants to do too. He might want to just start over, rebuild, get that rookie quarterback some experience that first year and, and not let him sit behind him. Kind of like uh, Fitzpatrick and Tua. You want that quarterback to get that experience. Hey, Greg, so if Matt Ryan is done in Atlanta, whether it's now, halfway through the season, do you think he has anything even left to go play, start on another team? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He can go on a team and they can go, they can go compete in the playoffs right tomorrow. Like, he's still a good quarterback in the NFL. It's not like, you know, it's it's not a talent thing. That that's, There's a reason why his his value is dropping is because of the situation the team is in. The, the roster is not ready to win right now. 
So it's no longer advantageous for them to, for them to have a veteran aging quarterback. That being said, he's I, look. I'm not exactly sure exactly how old he is. I think he's 36. 36. 36 off the top of the head. Um, 36 years old. So I don't think that he's at a place right now where he's he can't go compete and for a playoff spot and go be, be better than guys like Matt, uh, Kirk Cousins. He's still better than a lot of quarterbacks in the league. Matt Ryan is not a bad quarterback at all. So he can go compete um, in the right situation. It seemed like San Fran should be interested in him. Um, San Fran, the bar solo in San Fran looking at Kirk Cousins. So they they for sure can look at Matt Ryan, right? Like guys, there's a market out there for him for a team with teams that are ready to compete. But the, the organization's in a different place than he is. They're not, they're no longer aligned. This guy's is at an age now where he needs to be competing to win. Same thing as Stafford, right? The Detroit Lions have been off for so long and they need to rebuild and need to restart. And they were no longer aligned with their quarterback. It's the same thing with the Falcons. But he just needs a fresh start. And I, I think that Julio Jones gets traded before him. I don't even, I don't even think Matt Ryan's get traded before Julio Jones does. So Julio Jones will be on a move. Um, and we'll see that. We'll see that happen. That'll be exciting for him. He's still a physical freak who can go out there and make plays. It's not a knock on them as players. It's just sometimes when when you're when you age the way they have and you miss that window to make to win a Super Bowl the way they did, time passes you by. And if football is not forgiving, if football is an unforgiving sport, that te- the team has to reset. You have, you can't pay everyone. You lose some of these great players you had around them, and so they were just. This is the next domino to fall. But Justin Fields would be the guy they take in my opinion. It'd be good for them. Yeah, I think I think Matt Ryan, any other quarterback outside of Deshaun Watson, will be moved once Deshaun Watson is moved. Once that domino is dropped, then you'll see all the other quarterbacks move. Cam, all of them will move. You mentioned Justin Fields. I know we've talked about it on the show. You, Greg, have seen Justin Fields arguably as your number one pick. You you feel there he's right neck to neck with Lawrence. He's actually dropping so far in a lot of mock drafts. They're saying Wilson is better than him. They're saying Trey Lance is better than him. Do you think he drops that far to the Falcons? Do you think he should even drop? No. Easy answer to your question. But, I, you know, we'll see how these the pro day workouts work. Because it's all about how who wins these pro day workouts, right? Trevor Lawrence went out there. And he ripped the ball over the field and looked good in shorts and a t-shirt, which we thought he was going to look. And in, he, in his note, when I say that Justin Fields deserves to be the number one pick, you know, I, I don't say that like in any kind of slight, any kind of slight to a guy like Trevor Lawrence. He's very, very good. So obviously, I think he's going to go number one uh, just because that's a that's just the way it seems to be shaping out. Now, when you start talking about Zach Wilson going at number two, that's where I have a problem, just because I. Look, I, I saw I, I no one saw him because he was a BYU. So <laughs> let's not act like you know we all know what the tape is on him. I've watched a little bit on him just because I'm curious, and I can see what the appeal is. He's got a great arm, and he kind of looks like the modern day quarterback. You know, he looks like Kyler Murray's build. He's got this rocket arm. He's not the athlete Kyler Murray is. He's just not. He can move around though. Um, but he has he can throw sidearm. He's just he just looks like the guy who played baseball short shortstop, and he transitioned to football and just looks like a, the natural arm talent is there. But when I take Justin Fields' size into comparison, I believe Justin Fields has got at least three inches taller than him and at least got 20 pounds on him in weight, right? And I take his ability to run, like Justin Fields like a running back out there, right? And he's fearless. And his ability to put the ball on the money, like he's accurate with the football. He just is. He really is. And I know that he had some games, a game against Northwestern where he's played pretty bad. And he had to get – the Alabama game wasn't his best work either. 
But let me tell you guys something. There aren't many quarterbacks in, in, in college football that played well against Northwestern's defense. Their, their defense is, is incredible. It's incredible. There are not many prospects that did. And no, none of these quarterbacks coming into this draft have don't have boards. I know people love Trevor Lawrence. All right, but let, he's had some games where he's just looked shaky. Let, let's just be honest. Okay, when the light's been on the brightest, he looked a little shaky at times. Uh, that Should that detract from him? Does it detract from the, the Trevor Lawrence love? No. So why should it detract from Justin Fields' love? I'm going to leave that out there. I don't know why Mel Kuyper and 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 uh, Todd McShay are holding that against Justin Fields but not against Trevor Lawrence. So, um, well, I know why, but we, we you know we'll leave it we'll leave it where it is. Um, but you know, a guy like Justin Fields, he's he's so talented. I, I think any team that gets him is gonna be very fortunate. If he falls to Atlanta, I actually think it's a better situation for him. That's that that could just be the way things are meant to be. Going to the Jets, where there's nothing at at the moment, even though they have a ton of picks, may not be the best move for him. I think the Jets would be making a big mistake if they pass on him. Took uh, took Wilson, but I'll leave that to the Jets aficionado to tell you all about because I know you uh, you have your opinions there. I, I'm interested to hear how you feel about that. If you guys don't get Deshaun Watson, which would be another bad decision. But um, no, I think Justin Justin Fields is the best quarterback in the draft to me. Um, he's gonna be really good for a long time. I'm excited about him. Um, and I don't that if we're looking at just like the things that they do well and the intangibles, just look at the intangible for a second. Bigger, faster. I think more accurate with the football, to be quite honest. Justin Fields, um, and he's a winner. He's been he's he's been doing this for a long time. I'm, I I think he's gonna be a really good quarterback in the NFL. It's now Dwayne Haskins all over again. I think what's happening is you're seeing the Dwayne Haskins effect a little bit. They're going, oh, Ohio State quarterbacks can't can't do this and that because Dwayne Haskins kind of fizzled out early, and it's unfair. It's a little bit of recency bias. Justin Fields, Justin Fields, number one, man. Miles, number two pick. Who's the number two quarterback? If y'all don't get Deshaun Watson, like, again, Jets aficionado, I can see off the picture in the background, you are watching Jets highlights right now. Who would you pick if you don't get Deshaun Watson? Uh, I know we're not going to get Deshaun Watson because they're not going to fork up all those picks. But I think that is basically a, a neck and neck tie between Wilson, Fields. Yeah, five five picks, apparently. <laughs> but, um, Hold on, Miles, Miles, real quick. I'm not going to cut you off. Let me just say this real quick. Okay. Uh, did you see the rumor about the, what the Carolina Panthers are willing to give up for him? That's because they know that you can't win with a running back. So they're willing to give up one of the best players in the world. How many first-round picks are, are they tagging along to uh, McCaffrey? Three. Three. How many first-round picks do you think McCaffrey's worth? Really? He's a phenomenal player. What do you think? I would say four. I would say four. You think McCaffrey's worth four first-round picks? Yeah. So and they're tagging him along with three first rounders to get to get the Sean. All right, now we're getting off topic. <laughs> okay, let's, all right, I'm just making sure because that's that's what NFL GMs is doing. They're doing what I was talking about. I'm, I'm just saying. All right, go ahead, man. I'm saying we can talk about that later in the episode, but um, definitely I, I like Wilson. He he's shown that even though it's against lesser competition, you look at traits. You if you look at Mahomes, he's another guy who. He didn't play the best competition, but comes into the league, sits a year, plays the next year, and he's an MVP candidate. And who who got taken ahead of him? Deshaun Watson, another very good quarterback in that class. But the one they took ahead of both of them was Trubisky. I think that was a big mistake. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who, who thinks that. But that's the main thing. You, you look at traits. 
the Bears didn't know what they were looking for in a quarterback. They they just assumed they listened to Mel Kuyper and all these guys talking about Trubisky and what he could be. But the film is there. You can you can coach these guys. And Wilson, he's shown that he can improvise. He can, if that first read's not there, he's able to move out of the pocket, make plays. He's got a strong arm. That's the only knock with uh, Justin Fields is that he's really a one-read kind of quarterback right now at that Ohio State offense where, let's be frank, a lot of their <laughs> passing plays, you you see that first read and you throw it. It's not like he has to see one guy's not open, two, the second guy's not open, the third guy's not open. What am I going to do? We didn't really see that out of Justin Fields in his career. And in games where he had to do that, he struggled. Look at Northwestern. Look at Indiana. So he he's taken a, a hit even though he was a five-star, he's definitely right up there with one of the top quarterbacks in this class. But I think for the reasons that I, I just said, you look at the traits, like Wilson, he shot up the boards for a reason. They see what he's done on the field. They see he can throw it 60 yards down the field on the run. You can coach those guys, even though they've played lesser competition. You look back at the, the Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. Josh Allen's the best quarterback in that draft, and where'd he come out of? Wyoming. So I don't think that playing lesser competition necessarily means that you can't be labeled as better than some of these quarterbacks that went to more prestigious colleges like Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. So that's Chris my- Tatis, what you think on this? Big money man. I mean, for me, I, I think – one thing that I, when I was listening to both Greg and, and Miles talk right now, not one of them really mentioned Trey, uh, Trey Lance. And the reason for that is he's not going top three. The top three quarterbacks are Lawrence, Fields, and Wilson in no particular order, right? So we're going to get into, into the number two right now. So Wilson, let's start with Wilson, right? He deserves to be talked about. He's had a, gr- a great season this year. He's played more games than, than Justin Fields due to the uh, – COVID schedule and all that. Yeah, I think he's played like 12 games or whatnot. And in those 12 games, he threw 33 touchdowns and whatnot. But the thing that was most impressive about like him, like Miles, I completely agree with you. Lesser competition doesn't mean like you can't play. Like you either have it or you don't, right? You know how to be a quarterback in this in, in the college football or whatever, and you make it work for you in the situation that you're in. And that's what he did. Like 33 touchdowns and only three interceptions on 12 games. Like that's a good ratio. You know, that means you're out there slinging that thing. And the one thing when you, when you watch Zach Wilson's highlights and, and what he brings to the table is his pocket presence and being able to move and, and get away out of that pocket. And that's where he gets that Kyler Murray comparison, um, being, being able to get on the run. But one of the highlights that I watched, uh, I, was, I remember I was watching the highlights a few weeks ago, and they did that same play that uh, the Chiefs do when, when Pat Mahomes is in the shotgun, right? And uh, – you know, he rolls right and Kelsey just turned around and he gets that little shovel pass. That's exactly what uh, BYU does. And, um, you know, that was one of the plays that, that they did where, where they scored a touchdown on. And he's just so slick with it because he looks you off with his eyes. And uh, even when it's not on those trick plays like that, you watch his film and you see him in the pocket. He's not looking at where he's throwing it. He's looking defenders off too. But the only knock that I have against, you know, Zach Wilson is is really the fact that like, he, he plays for a system on offense that's 
you know, built for him to succeed, right? It's not necessarily the same type of system that he's going to see when he gets to an NFL team because some of that stuff isn't just going to work. He's in a 12 personnel system, two by two on each side. Um, and a lot of the corners that uh, when they spread their wide receivers out like that, a lot of those corners are on islands. So he, you know, it's just one-on-one coverage and some of the throws that you see him make, it's like, all right, he's just throwing jump balls and allowing his receivers to make a play. But like, it could easily go the other way too. So it's not necessarily like his throwing ability and how accurate he is down the field. It's like, he's just putting it up there and giving his receiver a chance. So with Justin Fields, uh, the pros for him, you know, Greg hit the nail on the head. You don't see quarterbacks of his size that often. He obviously uh, reminds a lot of people of, of a Cam Newton, um, just the way he, he stands in the pocket. And, and the one thing about him that's different from all these other quarterbacks that are in the draft, he's able to stand in that pocket and take hits just due to his size and get right back up like the hit was nothing. You saw him in the uh, the game against Clemson when he took that nasty hit. Did he shy away from contact when he was running that ball down the field? No, he lowered his shoulder. Like other quarterbacks aren't doing that. Trevor Lawrence isn't doing that. He may do it in college, but he's not doing that when he gets to the NFL. He's going to get stood up and he's going to get laid on his back, point blank, period. Same with Zach Wilson. He's going to slide. You know, Justin Fields is different. And I get it. Like, yeah, there's more opportunities to get to get hurt when you do that. But when you're in the red zone, that's going to come into play. It, it comes into play with the, the opportunities that you have in terms of what you're able to call. Um, because if it's not there and, and we know it, it uh, what's his name? Justin Fields likes to hold the ball in the pocket and whatnot. So that's his downfall is he holds the ball too long and gets sacked. But with a quarterback like that, yeah, he may hold the ball and he may, you know, miss his first read or whatever the case may be, but he can run the ball. He can lower his shoulder and get those five extra yards. So, I think that needs to be in consideration when you look at uh, Justin Fields versus Zach Wilson and who's going to be taking number two. The best fit for the Jets, it depends on what they want to do. If they're rebuilding, you know, their whole team from start to finish, you know, who do they want to be? You know, what do they want to represent? Do they want a quarterback that can, you know, run down the field and, uh, you know, score and, and lower their shoulders? Or do they want a pocket passer and somebody flashy like uh, Zach Wilson? Because, again, he's getting a lot of Pat Mahomes represent uh, – not representation. Yeah, he's getting a lot of that because of his ability to roll out to the right and then throw left across the field, even though that's not encouraged. So that was one of the things that I got hung up on too, is like, oh, people keep talking about like his ability to throw across his body. But like every time a quarterback does that in the league, people kind of knock it like, why why is he doing that and whatnot? I mean, it's, it's cool. But at the end of the day, man, I, I think Justin Fields is, is the better quarterback just because of what he can do and what he can bring to the table. He can still throw the ball. He can still be accurate, just like Wilson. Um, but he can also take hits and, and run when he needs to. Greg, I'll let you finish and get the last word on this uh, segment right here before we transition. I'm just gonna, I, I, what it boils down to, and, and I, I was, well, I pulled up some, uh, some Justin Fields tape, um, side by side with some, some uh, Zach Wilson tape while y'all were talking. And what it boils down to, honestly, what you say? I said that quick. I do this, yeah. I pull it up, and, and what, I, what I would tell what I would tell you guys is, I think what this boils down to is the NFL's got this new fad with quarterbacks, where they they're they're judging guys off of the arm talent. Like Chris put the nail on the head, throwing across your body, jump passes, no look, right? Like yeah. it, it's sexy and it's in the league right now. So Zach Wilson puts the problem from, from an arm talent perspective, but man, look, just, Justin Fields can sling the ball all over the field. He hangs in the pocket. He's tough as nails. 
He lets he he get with guys bearing down on him with defensive linemen bearing down on him. He can throw the ball. He can throw a fadeaway pass. He can throw a sidearm. He's, his arm talent's underrated, right? Like, and yeah. he's, and you're able to call plays for him. You can't call for Zach Wilson. You can't call a QB draw for Zach Wilson. You can't call certain RPO options where he can actually take off and run like Zach Wilson. And this guy doesn't have to slide. He will he will be encouraged as he gets older in his career, but he does not have to slide. And while that's not everything, the guy's accurate with the football. He, the, guy, the guy can put the ball where it needs to be put on. He makes every throw on the field. And we're talking about him waiting and going through all of his options and making all the reads on the field and things like that. That stuff you can learn with time. I, I Miles is not totally wrong about that. But I also think that what, what happens there is that he played at Ohio State, played with top-tier wide receivers. So his number one option was open 99% of the time until he played Northwestern. And they were taking away that number one option, right? And, North, and Northwestern was a special defense. I don't think that Zach Wilson would look particularly great against them. And, and, and I'm no college football genius, right? Like, for all I know, Zach Wilson may have played Northwestern, and I, I had to look, do more research there. We see how, we'll see how he looked. But my point is, and this guy can see over the defense. He's a big, he's a big, tall quarterback, strong quarterback. I feel real good about his chances. And if he goes to Atlanta and gets to sit for a year behind Matt Ryan and learn, it's even better for him. It's even better for him. No, and the only thing that I'll add there too is like, like we, we just talked about his Zach Wilson's numbers, right? 33 touchdowns on this season and only six interceptions, but that's over 12 games. Like Justin Fields only played eight games and people are still forgetting that. Like, let Justin Fields play 12 games this past season. And, and let's see, he's, he had 22 touchdowns in, in eight games. Like, he can easily drop in another 10 if you give him six more games. Probably more than 10, let's be honest. I mean, he had 22 in eight games. You give him another six games, he's probably coming in around, you know, 15 to 18 touchdowns, which is already above what Zach Wilson did this past season. That's a good point. Transition to cap or facts. I'm going to give you all some statements, some headlines, and you tell me if this cap or is it facts? Chris Brown says that he is single with a girlfriend. Is that possible, cap or facts? It is if Chris Brown. He got money like he got money. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, man, because it, it's going to sound bad, but they're at your disposal. They just want to be around you. They don't care if you got... You know what I mean? They, they don't care if you got another girl on the side. Like at the end of the day, they just want your attention. So if you're giving that attention, oh my, thing about to die. <laughs> if you give them, <laughs> if you give them that attention and like, you know, you still you still being around them and and you got another girl on the side, like you single to them and you got another girl. They don't care. It ain't about the labels at that point. You got money, a lot of it. <laughs> Is that possible, Miles? What to be single and have a girl? Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly it's possible if he's doing it, but hey, I don't, I don't think none of us have Chris Brown money. So, shout out to Chris Brown, but shoot, I'm a, if, if I do that, I'm gonna get caught up, <laughs> caught up, and punch is gonna be thrown. Not me, but some women gonna be hitting me. So that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid confrontation at all costs. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't further explain that comment, uh, but <laughs> this, that's the wrong point to bring up in the Chris Brown conversation right now. <laughs> Next one, cap or facts? The Brooklyn Nets-Lakers game is not being as valued 
as it should be because of injuries, cap or facts? Facts. I mean, it shouldn't because it's still, you know, quality players that are still healthy. It's only what KD's not playing and AD's not playing, but everybody else is healthy and ready to go. But I mean, I know everybody would have loved to see KD against LeBron, seeing what AD could do against them too. See, see if they could judge this on a and give, them, give everybody a fair shake. But I think I'm still gonna watch the game. I mean, I think everybody else is still gonna watch the game and talk about it the next day. So, I mean, who cares if there's a few guys missing? If they meet down the line, so be it. But this could be a first taste of something to come in, in the playoffs. So, G baby. No, as a fact. I mean, listen. This is this is the this is the pre. It's the prequel to the to the finals right here. You're getting the, the show firsthand. I mean, yeah, sure. You're not going to get to see every everybody healthy, but I'll tell you this: Lakers are still a very good basketball team, even without AD. They got LeBron on the court. They are a championship level team. They just are, and, and uh, they dismantle. I know the Wolves are not a very good team. The Wolves. Every the Lakers get every team's best shot every night. So you can't even go by the record of the team they play or anything like that. They got the Wolves' best shot last night. Anthony Edwards had his best game as a pro last night, and Braun just slammed a door on him. And every role player on that team understands their role to a T, and they do it. They do it so well. They're a well-oiled machine. I, I ultimately think the Lakers are the better team, but it's going to be so much fun to watch these guys, and regardless of whether or not whether, you know, KD and these guys are playing. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch them match up. It really is, because you're, you're getting that. You're getting to see it, that matchup, you know, the kind of – the matchups, how they're going to defend each other, what the defenses are going to look like, things like that in that kind of game, and how the coaches will adjust over the game too, right? I mean, we know Dan Tony's really making the, the calls for the net, so we'll see what he's doing offensively, see how they want to guard him defensively. I, it's going to be hard to get rebounds against a team as big on the front line as Lakers are, but I, I'm very excited. How, how are they going to guard Kyrie? How do they guard James when Kyrie's on the court versus when he's not on the court? They seem to have a little bit of a game plan for James Harden when he was in, when he was in Houston and he was by himself. So I'm really interested to see how they guard him and if they can make him work as hard as he did in Houston in that playoff series last year in the bubble. So um, there's a lot of underlying storylines here, but the number one the number one underlying storyline here is going to be the LeBron versus KD matchup again. We're going to get it one more time. Um, I think maybe even twice, to be honest, um, in the finals. I, I do think this matchup we see pretty often. Um, but <laughs> LeBron being in year 18 and, and just playing the way he is um, – on both sides of the ball, to be quite frank. Um, it's going to be incredible to see how he's able to fare against these guys because this adds to your legacy. Beating a team that's loaded adds to your legacy. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I don't think I don't think it's getting undervalued. I think it's just silently building up. You're really going to hear some noise tomorrow. Um, and if it's a great game, people will feel real stupid. And I think it will be a great game. So people will feel real stupid. Yeah. Uh, funny you mentioned that, you know, your legacy aspect. Bron said in an interview yesterday that, I don't think we should just overlook that KD, Clay, Steph team when you talk about the great trios. So he is not yet crowning them. So I think this is going to be, especially when they're fully healthy, it's going to be a huge game because LeBron is saying, pump the brakes on that. You can't crown them yet. I mean, they got, yeah. rings, though. They got two rings, so of course you can't crown them yet, but it's too early to judge it. 
you can't really judge it until it's like a year in, maybe even two years in. So it's it's just totally different too because that the Warriors team was a team that could pace and space you to death and they were hitting threes from all over the place and and that was the way they really killed you. It was really pace and space and hit threes because you had the two greatest three point shooters on the same team or they like took of the greatest. Um, and then excuse me, three because they had KD. It was insane. But not all these guys could get it in ISO either. The Lakers, the, the the Nets can do the exact same thing now in pace and space and hit threes that are wide open. But they also can get to it off the bounce too and create for their teammates too. Like every single one of them can do it in that trio. It, it's the most skilled trio of all time, man. Um, I I I'm hoping <laughs> LeBron. I know LeBron's hoping that they're not more offensively potent than the Warriors are because if they are, I just don't know what you do with that team. The Nets, the Nets might be. They might be the greatest offensive, offensive team I've seen. Just when you think about all the things they can do, it's about how they gel together and play together. And they, they, they look good when they're on the court together. They all look really good, and it's all made sense. Um, but LeBron's not wrong for saying what he said. Uh, I hope he, you know, he may have added some fuel to the fire, but I don't think Brown really cares about that. He's at a point right now where he knows he he knows he he, he knows he to go. So Brown, Brown don't care. He said he don't say whatever he wants to say. That's it. As he should. Yeah, and as he should, bro, as as he should, talking about some Taco Tuesday, drinking wine. Like this guy's at the point in his career where he's he's the, he knows, like he knows what it is. It's stamped. LeBron, LeBron didn't become the goat till he thought he was the goat. That's what it was, bro. That's the truth. That three-one series deficit they faced in 2016 when they win that series, that was it, bro. It was done for the conversation. So now he's just adding his icing to the cake. It's icing to the cake, and so that guy, you know, he's amazing, and I, I and I wouldn't be surprised if he comes up there and puts on a show tomorrow night, to just to just to kind of like get people talking and like, hey, it's a big game for his MVP stand, MVP conversation too. Big game. I'm not gonna forget that. They're not gonna the, the Nets have dismantled good teams all year. The Nets have been the Nets have set eight and three against Western Conference teams, the best record against any Eastern Conference team. They are the best against Western Conference competition, and we know what the stronger conference is. The Nets are coming tomorrow night. I think LeBron has something for him. And, and and this is coming from a Nets fan. So this is this, this let, let it be known. Last one. Cap or facts. The San Diego Padres have overpaid Fernando Tatis Jr. with that 14-year $340 million contract. As cap, I think. I mean, these are the type of contracts you give out in baseball to superstars, and he's young. He's 21, 22, MVP candidate. I mean, you see, they gave gave that same contract to Mookie Betts. Nobody's questioning that. Nobody questions Trout's contract. All those guys are a little more proven, but you're paying for the expectation that he's only getting better. Like from here. I think he was a goal. If he wasn't a gold glover, he was runner up for a gold glove last year. One of the best shortstops, if not the best shortstop in the game right now. And it's happened so fast. So I don't think he's overpaid. It's just now he's got to follow through on this and win because that contract's not really going to work out too much for the Angels because Trout's really on an island by himself over there. And can't really pay too many people when you pay somebody like that, but the Padres got some guys over there. They got Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer. They've got pitching now too. So now it's just on him. He's 
this is basically telling him he's the face of this team and he's on his way to being the face of baseball, which I think in the next couple of years, he'll, he'll own that claim. Yeah, they didn't overpay. Uh, he's, he's so talented. I think he's already become the face of baseball, um, honestly. He's just more fun. He's a more fun personality than Mike Trout, right? Mike Trout is a guy who's um, not only is he an Eagles fan, but he's also just a guy who, you know, like it's just kind of bland. You know, he's in L.A. He's playing for the second-rate Angels. It's, they haven't been good. You know, they, they've never been able to put it together and never put a competitive team on the, or product on the field around him. And he's been great, but he's been hurt, too. He's missed a lot of games since signing that contract. Tatis, man, like in the playoffs, hitting hitting shots, bat flipping, just all the attitude you bring to the game. He's a five-tool player um, and definitely one of the best shortstops in the game, if not the best, right? It's up there between him and my very own Lindor. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm really hyped and excited about him being the face of the game. You know, it's, it's crazy. A lot of people don't look at it this way, but baseball, you know, is slowly and and I think this has been the case for a long time. But even more now than now than ever, you got black players just really influencing the sport, even if they don't think they're black. But that's a whole different conversation. Oh, <laughs> whole like different conversation. <laughs> Speaking of your Mets, um, how are you feeling? Just complete sidebar. How are you feeling about one of your, you know, great up-and-coming prospects and Tim Tebow retiring. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so happy that it's done. I'm so happy that it's done. I, I'm happy the Mets don't have to chase for headlines and grab headlines anymore. Their play on the field is going to be the headline. You know, the team's going to be the, – the, the, the team they're putting together is going to be the headline now. But, man, shout out Tim Tebow, man. He, he you know, he chased that dream for as long – since 2016 it was. He's been doing this for a little bit. It's about four years now. The minors. Five years total. Five years total. You see, like just chasing that dream, and um, well, we obviously knew it was never going to happen. Although to show you guys <laughs> how far the Mets have come, there was really a time where people, Mets fans and people around the, around baseball circles were talking about Tim Tebow being called up to the Mets and actually taking at bats for the Mets. That's how that's how bad things were, and look where we're at now. You know, was it, was it bad though? Because it's kind of impressive that a guy who hadn't played since high school and he played what four years in the NFL. So that's what eight, nine years removed from baseball and to just pick it up and he got to triple a, I think that's more than impressive enough to get a call up. Not even as a sideshow. It's like, I mean, all right, maybe a little bit of a sideshow, but, <laughs> but still this guy put in the work. He, he gave up on football completely. I don't think he gave up, football gave up on him, but well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, he was an analyst for half the season too. So shout so out to Tim Tebow. Before we transition, tribute video for him. <laughs> oh, Everybody's getting one. Why not? They don't, they don't give. They don't give everybody a tribute video now. It's gonna be a transitioning. <laughs> transitioning of short tributes. I don't think uh, Jalen Johnson will be getting a tribute video if he ever goes back to visit Duke. Jalen Johnson has decided to opt out for the rest of the season. I want to get y'all first impressions on it before I, you know, dive into the different storylines and the questions of how does it make it look? How does it look for his draft stock? How does it look for Duke? Where does Duke go from here on out? What was your first 
first initial reaction is seeing these headlines that he decided to opt out. I wasn't that shocked. Yeah, I was like, you know, good, good for him. You know, at the same time, like, people love to bash players for, for making the best choice for, for them. People don't bash, you know, players when, when they leave and decide to go play overseas, right, and, and not go to college route to be going. I get it. The season started, but it's not like Duke was on a championship run. You know, this, this kid, is he's going to be a top 10, you know, draft pick, uh, next, or this year, rather. And at, at the same time, like, he's doing what's best for him in his career. He was already hurt earlier in December, uh, missed, missed games already, hasn't played a lot, only averaging 11 points. Like, at the same time, like, he's already playing in a global pandemic. Like, these kids are already putting a lot into the game and whatnot, and their ultimate goal, the reason why you go to college to play basketball as a D1 athlete, isn't to, you know, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, yeah, like, yeah, you want to help win that title, that school win a title, right? But at the same time, if you're a beast like this kid was in, in top 20 ranked by ESPN, whatever the case may be, you want to go to the NBA. You want to secure the bag. You want to set yourself up for life and help your family out and do what you got to do. You're not worried about Duke at the end of the day. His mindset right now is I need to do what's best for me. I need to make sure I'm healthy and prepare for this draft coming up. That way I can have a successful career in the NBA. What would happen right now if he goes out there, right? And he's continuing playing this season, knowing it's going to amount to nothing, right? And he gets a, a torn ACL or an Achilles injury or something like that. His draft stock goes way down. Um, and he has to, uh, those are tough injuries to come back from. And I'm not saying like, obviously he wasn't going to get injured or whatnot, but Again, you got to understand his mindset too. Like he was already injured in December with, with an ankle or foot injury, whatever the case may be. And like now it's getting closer to that draft time and Duke ain't doing anything. What are they, eight and eight right now? And at the same time, it's like, hey, I got to do his best for me. Like, I'm sorry, I wish y'all the best. But at the end of the day, like it's time to get this money. What was your first reaction, uh, Greg, to seeing this? I was torn. Um honestly, right, because there's a part of me, especially being around youth basketball, where it's kind of like, man, that's some that's some pretty, it comes off as pretty entitled to leave middle of the season because you're not playing. It's because his minutes have dissipated. That's why he left. Um, I'm, I'm usually very pro player. I think anyone who knows me knows that. And it's fine. Like, if he wants to work out and get ready for the NBA, I mean, so be it. I think it's a good decision for him. It's, it's great. Um, he'll be a high draft pick, though I think he'll be a lottery, maybe just outside of it. Um, watching him play, like w watching some of his highlights, watching a little bit of him, um, I see some weaknesses with this game. Like, I, I don't see a ton of wiggle in the half court. He's a perimeter player. Like, I don't know that he's going to break a defender down. Not that I think that's the way you need to be effective necessarily, right? There's ways you – you can play that more European-style basketball where you're making all your reads before the catch and you're making your moves after the fact. Like, you're just it's all predetermined. You can do that and be effective, but he's not a great he's not a great shooter. Um, he can work on that. Um, but I mean, he ultimately made the best decision. The, the decision he thought was best for himself. And do I think that he benefits from playing and getting coached by Coach K? Yes. Yeah. Simply put, yeah, he does. I, I don't. It doesn't hurt him to be around Coach K. Like it, it helps professional basketball players in the NBA to be coached by him when he does his USA stints. So you're gonna tell me you working out by yourself and going with some trainers is better than being a Coach K? Fine, but you damn sure be right about it that, that's really what it is right and and so he can bet on himself because that's really what he's ultimately doing is betting on himself I don't know how bad the terms are with him and coach K and I'm gonna I'm gonna look at more into this myself because I'm, I'm genuinely curious about 
the inner workings of it and just kind of how it all happened, how he came to the decision. I'm sure I'll have to talk more about it in the pre-draft process. Um, but I saw like I saw the poll you had up about him and whether or not he'd fall out of that lot, that top pick status. I'm not sure he was in it um, before this. This draft is insane. This draft is insane. It's one of the best drafts we've had in a really, really long time. Cade Cunningham is it. He's the real deal. He's performed against the best teams in the country. I'm pretty sure they have, they have a matchup with Baylor coming up pretty soon. If it's not tonight, it's tomorrow, uh, which I'll be, I'm really excited about. Baylor's the number one defense in the country and has been for the last two years running. Um, but you got him, Jalen Suggs. Um, you have this kid in UConn. UConn. Yo, okay. James Knight. Oh, my God. Yo, he's, yo, he's like Zach Levine, bro. Like it's, it, I see Zach Levine when I watch him play. No BS. Like, it's, it's insane how good he is, bro. So he, he's mad impressive too. Like, there's a lot of good players people are not talking about in this class. You're not lot. even talking about the G League Ignite players that they got coming out. Yeah, you're not even talking about those those guys, those killers coming out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's insane how many good players there are. So no, I don't even. I'm not sure he's a lottery pick, and I'm not sure this move helps him. If I'm an optics standpoint, from a yo, I want to help my team win standpoint. There's a bigger conversation to be had here because it's kind of like everyone is in this thing for themselves, right? And it's like, yo, am I am I gonna help my team win games or not? The Duke, Duke hadn't been that good all year. Duke, the last thing Duke needed was one of the top, their five star recruits to walk out on them mid season. I can tell you that right now, they were ne- they weren't that good. They were struggling with the t- with some talent around them, right? And no COVID, and they weren't practicing the same, and they had their issues. But him walking out in a COVID in a pandemic with these guys all struggling, they were all going through struggles. A lot of these guys' minutes were dissipating. A lot of these guys were playing in like minutes that were spotty. And he walked out. It's not scouts are gonna ask about that too. Like, don't it, you know? Because at the end of the day, we talk to guys who played in the league, bro. Like, what do they always say? You gotta be able to play your role and understand what your role is and know how to fit into a team because that's what you, that's how you went. That's how you do it in the NBA. And I'm watching him play. And I'm like, I just don't see how it's where he see, where he makes guys better. And I don't think that you can play in the NBA at a high level and be there for a long time without making guys better. So there's a lot of questions about him that I have. This does hurt his stock, in my opinion, but it was kind of already damaged to begin with because this draft class is insane, insane. So, yeah, yeah, one of the quotes, one of the quotes from an NBA scout already was, you wonder what is really behind it. It doesn't look good. Would he have opted out if they were a tournament team? Is it related to his foot? There is a lot to dig into here, and it's something we won't really have complete certainty until we get to speak with him directly. Crazy. That scout sounds a lot like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I be telling people I could be an NBA scout, bro. No BS. No BS. Tomorrow I could be an NBA scout. I'm not even playing. I watched this dude play for like two minutes. I, I'm, I'm ready to break this junk down. <laughs> like, no BS, bro. To the listeners, bro. I, I, be do, I really do this. I really do this. No, I, I hear you too. Like, it, it does make it seem like he's walked. I mean, he did walk out on his team and. People, I get it. People are calling him a quitter and whatnot. But, like, at the end of the day, like, I, I think we got to learn more in terms of, like, is it his foot? You know what I mean? You know, is it something else? Is it his relationship with, with Coach K or whatever the case may be? If it's his foot, I completely get it. Like, you don't want to get re-injured, whatever the case may be. But there is that question to me, like, yo, if y'all was, if y'all was winning right now and y'all had a good record and you guys were, you know, on your way to a tournament, would you have walked out? And the answer is probably no, right? Because then – people would really question that and be like, yo, why? You guys have a winning record. You guys have a chance to win the whole thing and, and you walking out on your team. So uh, there's definitely, like Greg said, a bigger conversation to be had. 
Miles, real quick, do you think this actually helps Duke out? Maybe it's one less mouse they're trying to feed or one less five-star recruit that has an issue or not performing well. Do you think this might open up and help Duke out, maybe finish off the season strong? We don't see them, obviously, having a playoff impact March Madness or anything like that, but could they finish their season strong now with him going home? It's going to be tough. I mean, as bad or up and down as he was playing this year, he's still a five-star recruit for a reason, and that's another body that they just lost. And especially during this pandemic, you don't know who you're going to lose from time to time on this team, whether through COVID or close contact. So now you're losing a, a body, a pretty good body, I think. And they haven't really been winning that much. So they're a 500 team on the outskirts of the NCAA tournament. I don't know if they'll make it or not. They, they look more like an NIT team to me, but I don't, I don't see how this helps them in any way. They're just losing another small forward. And I don't know. It's, it's a weird season. Like this college season is so weird to me. Like even my team, Kentucky, has been awful. I don't even watch the games anymore because it's like because of COVID, practice schedule is a little skewed and you can't really get that time with the coaches that you would normally get. So I don't know how much time he's actually getting with Coach K on a, a daily basis and then losing playing time, losing minutes. That's definitely a factor into why he, he left. So I don't know. Duke is I – don't, I don't see Duke as a playoff, uh, playoff team. I don't see them as a tournament team. If, if Devin Booker didn't leave Kentucky after having the platoon the whole year, that year, you man, listen, get over yourself. I don't want to kill this kid. I don't. I don't know everything about this, but I know that playing time played a factor in it, and it, it's like it's so crazy. It's so indicative of this Microsoft, this Microsoft, this microwave culture we live in now, where guys need things quick and early. Like they need the instant gratification out of things, and people need instant gratification out of things. And if they don't get it, they're gone or they're tuning out. Right? Like this is a process. You're you're playing for one of the best coaches in college ever, college basketball sports that have ever coached in all sports, right? And you're walking out on it and in a pandemic. And I get that it's challenging and I get that the minutes dissipated, but it's just a really iffy looking move, man. Like this is a, basketball's a team sport. I don't think people, enough people understand, especially kids. They, they, you know, you catch the ball, you want to ISO, you want to look good and all that and everything. And everybody's staring at you. This is a team sport, yo. If you can't play with other people, you can't play the game. So it, it doesn't make it, it just, it's just, it looks like a mean move. And I know that you have to be selfish sometimes, but this may be the one, this is one of the times where I don't know that it made a lot of sense to be selfish. Like it really, it really didn't. Putting good film out there against college competition in a pandemic, you don't get many opportunities to do so. Maybe you feel like he had enough on film. He probably has an agent already, or he's looking to get one. That's probably in his ear telling him he does, but it's just watching him play. He has a lot to prove. So it's just not – it's not a, a very smart decision. Am I – am I uh, – oh, wow. He just – he did bless somebody. I'm, I'm, this guy's hot as up right now. But it's just not – it's just not – this is not enough. It's just – I don't – I just don't – there's not enough of body work work there for him to be comfortable on, and sit on this. But we'll see what happens, man. I can tell you, guys, his build, they don't – they yeah. come more often. A couple of the scouts already there saying the exact same thing regards of he didn't have enough on tape before he did this. 
So now that he did this, it's going to be really indicative and really hard. Um, as you said, he is a five-star recruit, but now it's going to be a lot of questions in those interview rooms more than even so much the talent. They want to know, who are we drafting? Are we going to draft somebody that's going to do the same type of thing and quit on the team if things don't work out well, which hopefully he, you know, it doesn't affect his draft stock too much. I want that young man to get paid, but it's not a good look so far. Transitioning, Draymond Green blasted the NBA with the double standard. He basically was saying there's a double standard, and he alluded to the whole situation, what's happening with Blake Griffin, with Andre Drummond, and how owners can come out and say, hey, we are going to trade this player. He's not playing no more. But players, if they were to say anything like that, the man to trade, James Harden, AD actually got fined for it. It's a completely different standard. And the NBA, NBA as a whole and the owners do not treat the players with respect. What were your takeaways from Draymond Green's statement? Was it far-fetched? Was he wrong? Was it the wrong timing? Is it a situation where they're like, oh, it's the right message. They don't want to hear the messenger because it's Draymond Green. What were your takes on it? I think it was perfect timing. And I, I think he said it with, with the right demeanor and, and he was passionate about it. Typically in James, uh, I mean, in Draymond Green fashion, you know, he's, he's super passionate uh, when he gets to speak and when he gets behind that microphone. And one thing about Draymond Green too, yeah, he gets fined for, for talking off the cuff sometimes too, but he tells you how it is and he tells you what you don't want to hear. And he don't care who you are, whether, you know, you're the owner, whether you're the commissioner, he's going to tell you how it is because he wants to truly bring light to these, you know, different type of situations. And I think a lot of other players and throughout the league, obviously respect that. Yeah. He can do some foolishness on the court, you know, when he plays against you at the same time, but at the end of the day, from a, a player perspective, you know, that man is somebody who's going to advocate on behalf of all of the other players, right. At the end of the day, um so so everything he said he didn't like we we were talking about this in the group chat right after it happened like he did not tell one lie the league likes to villainize players who want a different situation but when the organization or the team wants a different situation for them it's not a problem that's the direction the team wants to go in is what you often hear right but when James Harden a few months ago was saying get me out of Houston it was all, he's not committed. He, you know, he's a cancer to the team. You know, he doesn't want, you know, he's a distraction, but he, he gets to the nets and what is he doing? He's getting buckets. He's helping them win. Now, now, now people, are, the commentators are saying, uh, you know, James Harden, you, you, the Nets can't win without him. They're not going to win a championship without him. He, he's, you know, facilitates the ball and whatnot and everything like that. He's the best point guard the Nets have, but all that noise went away, right? Once he once he started playing uh, up to par in the Nets and whatnot, like you don't hear them talking about oh how he used to be a cancer in Houston no more because that doesn't matter. But in the in the moment and in the situation, that's what they love. They love to villainize you for wanting something different because at the end of the day, you're you're providing a bad light for that organization that you're with already. But they don't care about that. They don't care about the mental health of players and and, and what's going on in their mind and what they think. Like he, one of the things that he mentioned was like, uh, one of the things Draymond mentioned about um, Andre Drummond was like, you don't, you don't think that's men messing with his mental health, telling him like, hey, you're you're not gonna play because we're we're looking to trade you. Like, 
he's a grown man. Like at the same time, like he still got, yes, he's still getting paid and whatnot, but at the same time, this is his career. This is what he puts his passion into. This is what he trains for on a day-to-day basis. You know, he's doing this every day to, you know, obviously one play the game that he loves, but like there, there's a sense of pride when, when you go out there and play for a team, whether you want to be on that team or not. At the end of the day, all these players have one thing in common is they love basketball. So when you tell a player you can't play because we're looking to trade you, like at the same time, you're not caring about his mental health. You you voicing it. There's been countless times where players found out that they were being at a traded at a press conference or on social media. So now you're voicing it to to the public before you even have a separate conversation with that player, letting them know what's going on. Like the league don't care, man. We we Ben knew this was a business, which is why they're still having the All Star game and and not listening to their players and and their employees essentially. Um, you know, it's sad, and, and it happens in a lot of sports, but, like, the NBA is really showing their true colors right now. Yeah, mentioning that All-Star game, they, they're trying to throw money at the situation because what's being reported is that, oh, hey, we're going to have this All-Star game, deal with it, we'll split 50% of the profit with you. <laughs> yep. Hey, we're going to have this All-Star game. It'll just be one day. Come for one day. You come, perform, do what you got to do. You get – you get your promo deals and everything like that, and we'll split 50% of the profit with you. Deal with it. It is what it is. No one did. Exactly. And what was mentioned also with Andre Drummond, yeah, imagine you got to go to work. Imagine you show up to work, you get there, you sit down, and like, hey, we actually looking to replace you. Go back home. mentally that would jack you up not, there whether you're getting paid or not like i don't i don't care how much money he getting paid right we talk about andre drummond and how he's getting paid a bag that he doesn't deserve right now or a bag that he's not living up to at the end of the day that may be true but like if i come to work one day right and someone like you just said they're they're telling me hey we're looking at you even if i'm getting my check that next that next day or that week because I'm, I'm still getting paid for my full 40 hours whatever I'm going to have some stress behind me of, yo, where am I going next? Because, bro, they don't take into consideration that these players got to pack up their whole lives and where they are. Some players may have just bought a crib. They got a mortgage. Like, yeah, they got money, but at the same time, that's such a whole stressful process. You got a family. It's not just you that you're moving to whatever city you go to next. You got to pack up. Your wife may have a job in that town or whatever the case may be. Like, the league don't think about that. And I'm not saying that they have to. I get it. You got to do what you got to do. You got to trade players and whatnot. And but there's a right way to go about things and having that conversation with them separately before you announce it to the public and, and whatnot. Oh, this, this, when I heard him go talk about this uh, the other night, he's right about everything he said, nothing he's wrong about, but there's one thing that really stood out to me, bro. The Kyrie Irving situation he touched upon because to me, like people can get their jokes off about Kyrie and what happened. Yo, I kept saying, when Kyrie was off for those for personal reasons, we had no idea what it was. We had no idea what was going on with that man. None. And I think the craziest thing about the NBA ownership, and I think even the Nets are guilty of this ownership too, is that yo, they didn't squash that. They didn't, they didn't back this guy to the fullest. They didn't go, hey man, he's dealing with something. He's dealing with something. We don't know exactly what it is, but he's dealing with something very serious for him to not be playing basketball. They let people speculate. Let the media speculate. Again, let people get these jokes off, right? That's mistreatment of your players. That guy was going through something. I'm telling you, bro. I'm, I, I, he wasn't just sitting out this, sitting out to sit out. That there was no precedent for that. 
Kyrie had never done that before, right? So for people to run with all these narratives and for, for the NBA to allow people to run with all these narratives is incredibly, incredibly um, just, just, just cruel. Like, it really is. They do mistreat their players. And there is, and I know people, some people don't want to hear that because they make a lot of money. And it's, it's, that's BS. These guys do this for a living. There's a lot of pressure that comes with this career. I know some guys say, like Dame say, there's no pressure because they, you know, pressure is coming from a bad neighborhood and not know where your next meal is going to come from. Look, you, you'd be a fool to not, to not acknowledge how much pressure there is doing what you do. Everyone is talking about you. You hear all the noise. I can only imagine how hard it is for R.J. Barrett in New York to hear people talk bad about him. He hears it. He hears the chatter, right? He's 19. Right? He's 19 doing the best he can. And, and so I, I say that as someone who, who's been critical of him, right? But, like, it, it's it's crazy. Like, there's so much these guys deal with. And then with the trade, with the, when you think about the, just the trading someone, right, it makes sense in theory a team that would, would, would want to sit a player down and not want them to get injured. Dr- Drummond not playing makes sense for the, for the Cavs because – He's not their best center. And also because they don't want him to get hurt. There's just a way to go about doing things, right? Like you don't even have to necessarily make that publicly known. You don't have to have him in street clothes. He can be dressed on your sideline. Like, you know what I mean? He can get DNPs, fine. But like just saying, coming out of the media and saying, he's not playing. Why? Like, you know, like it doesn't, it's, 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 it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to the players. It is. And so Draymond saying everything he said was totally correct. Um, teams get a pass. Teams in the past, players get booed when, when guys get moved, right? When they get moved and it's out of their control, uh, they come back to their to that city they play, they gave their blood, sweat, and tears to, and they get booed while the organization's highly appraised for making a great trade, right? All we talk about after the fact is trade grades, right? And these players are people. They're human beings. So um, Draymond, is 100, Draymond is, look, I mean, I've always loved him in his Warriors day, right, when he was the agitator, but he's a, he's a damn good basketball player and he's an even better person because he's he's not scared to say what's right but man I, I really thought that Kyrie situation was interesting because I heard like you listen to talk shows I heard Colin Cowherd go on there and talk about scouts were saying yeah he's you know talk about he's crazy you know like I wouldn't even give up anything for him right now I don't want him like he's damaged goods like because of a mental health issue like are you crazy yo like really that's, what, that's how they're handling mental health issues internally it goes to show you like a lot of the things these leagues do from a social justice perspective, from a mental health perspective, it's performative. It's all performative, but they just want us to clap our hands and they're not really doing anything. They don't care, bro. I, I, I can't say it enough. Um, but the NBA a Player Association, Association needs Draymond on there. He needs to be on there. He needs to be representing the players on the line. Um, he's, he, he's great because they just need to have – I think you're going to start to see the, the paradigm switch in the NBA where players are going to have a lot more say and just control. You're seeing it happen in the NFL and other leagues where, like, they're like, we don't want to be the NBA. Like, we don't want players dictating things. We don't want Deshaun Watson coming into our office and saying, yo, get me out of here. This isn't working. When he signed a contract. Guess what? That's going to be the norm in sports. Just give it give it five, ten more years. I think it's going to be the norm. Guys, contracts are not going to be binding. They're just not, right? They're not binding for teams. Teams can just up and leave a contract. No judgment. Oh, and, and, and fans will just they will judge it. Uh, they'll, they'll 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 talk about it. They'll be like, hey, like, listen, it was a bad cap hit. It was a bad cap hit for us. We gotta get we gotta get out of that cap hit. You can look at it from a monetary perspective when it comes to your team, but not the player, right? Now it's best for the player. And and it's a, it's a double standard. The players are the ones that make you guys all the millions of dollars. They make these these owners billions of dollars every year. So I, I like where this is going. These conversations are really important. 
because you're seeing guys walk the walk in real time across all sports. Yeah, I think it's something before Miles goes that we tend to forget as a people because the NFL, for example, is so terrible with how they treat their players and how they handle Black Lives Matter, how they handle those situations, social justice, how they handle domestic violence. Because they handle it so bad, the NBA get this real bright light of, oh, the NBA is the right way to do it. NBA has its flaws too. They're just mm-hmm. they're just better at it. Mm-hmm. The NFL is just so trash. They're terrible. It can make the NBA seem like, oh my gosh, they have all the answers. They don't. They hey, really man, don't. Real quick too, before Miles, you go, an example of the NBA being trash. Um, the Mark Cuban comes out and says that he's not going to play the Martin National Anthem. He hadn't been playing it all year. No one noticed until the story came out. It did not matter because the National Anthem is performative. It's pomp and circumstance. No one actually cares that it plays before games. Like, it doesn't actually affect anything. Fans that were in the stands because Dallas letting people in, they weren't complaining. There was no until you heard about it in the mainstream media, right? And the NBA comes out, deads that real quick. Deads that real quick. I, yo, I'm, I'm telling you, it's performative. Like, there is a segment of Black people who feel like the national anthem does not represent them and represent the rights they have in this country, right? Like, that's the reality of it. That's why Mark Cuban was doing what he was doing. It's a commendable thing what he was doing because he understands, hey, man, my workforce is 90% Black. I got to back these guys because if I don't, what do I have? To, I have no like to stand on. I, the, I, my business is shot. My best player may be white, but the, the majority of my, my workforce is black. So I got it. I have to be on their side with these things. I have no choice. It's so sad that Adam Silver is trying to not take a PR hit. And, and, and it's similar to the NFL. It's not much different. Like the difference, the difference between black balling Colin Kaepernick and, and doing this and getting what he deaded that quick with Mark Cuban not playing the national anthem, there's not much of a difference if you think about it. So it all goes back to one place. I got to keep white people happy, white, the white fan base happy. I got to keep them happy, but to hell with black people, right? Even if they're the reason why I make billions. So I'm going to say, but I think it's really important that we talk about that too, because that story got completely overshadowed. I mean, you guys have touched on pretty much everything, but the last thing I'll say is it's just funny how when a player wants out, everybody around wants to say, oh, they need to honor the contract that they signed. But in the same situation, Drummond, they, they're not going to play him. They signed him. They, they're paying him all this money, and they're not going to honor that contract by basically benching him until they find someone to take his contract on, basically. It's, it's just messed up. And I'm glad Draymond came out and, and spoke in, in favor of the players because somebody has to. They're going to keep doing this until they make a, a rule that – you can't actually bench a guy who's completely healthy. I don't get it. Cause like you said, everybody was coming at Kyrie for many reasons that they still don't know. Like he's a private person and we don't need to pry like that. So all I'll say is that players need more support from the teams that pay them all this money. You can't you can't just do this to them. I think if Draymond Green was on that NBA MB Players Association, they wouldn't be having the All Star Game. Um, I don't know, like 
I thought the Players Association was for the players, and majority of the players have come out and said that they don't want to play, but it's still happening. So that's very interesting to me in that regard. And something that you see in pretty much all sports, the owner are the actual bosses. Adam Silver works for the owners. In the NFL, the owners are the bosses. So when you're in a situation like that, who are they really going to make happy? The NBA, the NFL, who are they going to try to make the happiest? The owners. They work for them. That's that's Adam Silver's boss. Mark Cuban is Adam Silver's boss. So majority of the owners, hey, we want you to play that anthem. They're going to play the anthem. I know it's a part of league policy, but it really wasn't something as serious. That should have been stopped. But as Greg said, this just shows across all, all sports where the importance and where the value really truly is. It's all about money and the business aspect and what's going to make the most money. And one thing that a lot of people don't want to say, the NBA, yeah, they spoke up on Black Lives Matter. They had it on the court. You know who did it first? It wasn't NBA. The WNBA has been more outspoken on all topics more than the NBA. The WNBA was the first to be on social justice, to be on the Black Lives Matter, to be on domestic violence. Let's just say the WNBA has been doing a better job of that. Transitioning, we talked about it on the last episode. Before we close out this episode, Steph Curry. They was off to a slow start. Many teams were, many people, oh man, the Warriors, they're going to be in the lottery again. Steph has them in the playoff conversation. Maybe he'll be, they'd be a top five, six team. Where is Steph Curry ranked in the MVP polls this far early in the season? Top five. I think he's top five. I mean, it's impressive what he's been able to do because people really counted them out. Once Clay got hurt in the, in the right before the season, People said they're not a playoff team. We know Steph's going to be great, but it's not going to happen. And he's kind of willed this team. They, This band of misfit toys. They got Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, guys that were outcasts from their team. So he's, made, he's, he's making it work. I mean, he still has Draymond Green, and he's an assist machine right now. But Steph Curry's the star that's the stir that – the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> I'm trying to get it out. But I do think that he should be in the MVP conversation. He's shown, I mean, a lot of people slept on him after he missed the whole year. I know people said Dame Lillard's better than him. And that's another conversation. But, dog, when he's out there, he's top five best players in the NBA. Like, there's no question about it. Like, the skill that he has, which is shooting the ball at a high level, you can't really stop it. He's, there's nobody that's ever come into the game that shot the ball like this. Nobody. And it's a, a skill that'll carry him. He'll, he'll play into his 40s just based off the fact he can shoot this well. Uh, he's back to that 2015-2016 season right now, averaging 30 points a game, 5-5. Five and five. Greg, you was about to go. Is he – is? Is Stefan on your top five MVP right now? I guess this is time for my hot take of the day because um, Steph is top five MVP voting. That goes without saying. That's easy. Um, my top five, though, 
I have a guy over over Steph that people won't talk about nearly enough. Uh, I have LeBron number one, Joel Embiid at number two, Damian Lillard at number three. Not Steph, Damian Lillard, then Steph, then I don't really care who put after that because they not win the MVP. It's, if you get one pick <laughs> that top four, really don't matter. Um, Dame has been Dame is more deserving of the MVP to be in that MVP conversation than even Steph is, and here's the reason why. When this preseason first started, and they didn't have Draymond on the court, and Draymond was not on the court, what did that team look like? What's Steph out there? Draymond is the most valuable player on the on the Warriors. He just is. He's he makes everything work. He brings the ball up the floor. He allows Steph to be his best because he Steph can play off the ball off the ball. He can come off screens. He can come off V cuts, Iverson cut all types of cuts. He'll cut you to death. That's what he does. And he hits the needs threes and he gets open shots because Draymond's a really great passer who sets it and facilitates it for him. I'm not saying that Steph don't got can't come on the court and create for himself, but when he's been forced to do that and forced to be the number one option in that way, and he is the number one scoring option, but when he's forced to be like to initiate the offense and be the number one option, the team just doesn't look good. They, they just don't look good. It's not the same. So as opposed to Dame, who has nobody, he doesn't have a Draymond to set the table for him. He goes down, he initiates the offense, and he gets buckets however you want him to do it. You want me to come off screens? I can do that. You want me to, to break my defender down? Well, I'll do that. You want me to go and pick and roll and manipulate the defense and find open guys and get a bucket? I'll do that too. Dame, and they're winning games. And they're winning games. And down the stretch of games, he's slamming the door on teams, hitting big threes, talking talking cash. Like, he's easily been – he's been the – He's been one of the best guards in the NBA this year. I don't want. I don't nah, want to say it. No, 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 say it. Nah, nah, say I really think Kyrie been on some something different this year, bro. I really think Kyrie been on something different this year. I know Kyrie playing with more talent. I get that. If you want to call Dane the best point guard in the NBA this year, you could do that. I'm not going to be mad at you. But if you look at some of the efficiency numbers that Kyrie's putting up, it is otherworldly. Kyrie is on a tear. Bro. Isn't He's Kyrie a two guard now, though? Kyrie Bennett two yeah. guard. They all two you guards. What you just say? You said it's otherworldly. It's otherworldly. <laughs> <laughs> otherworldly. Look at his shirt before I said that, bro. But nah, man. D- Dame. Dave deserves that that top three status. Steph is just right outside that. Steph it, it deserves me in the conversation. Um, but also, if y'all, <laughs> we have some listeners that love Steph Curry. He's not winning MVP this year. He's not winning MVP this year. I'll say it one more time. He's not winning MVP this year. Steph Curry's not winning it because they've already set a precedent. They didn't give it to Bron when Bron was dragging teams. They, you can't you can't change the rules because this small light skinned dude's doing it. You can't do it. You can't do it. It don't work that way. So no, I don't want to hear that. Like the 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 way they vote in these MVPs are is so upsetting because it's not consistent. I, I want my consistency when we talk about MVP conversations. Bron should have been had it. He deserves it this year, but if you're talking about where Steph is, Steph's at number four, respectable. Um, I just think I I don't like just because I say he's not the most viable player on the Warriors, people are gonna take it the wrong way. It's gonna sound weird to them, but if you watch basketball, like if you watch the game and don't just watch highlights, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Draymond makes everything work. He's the glue to the he's the glue he's the gorilla glue. He makes it all work. It it, it all falls apart without Draymond Green. It, it he's more important than Clay. He, he needs to be out there for them to function because they have two guys who can shoot the ball so well, they need to come off screens to operate. And if you don't have an initiator of the offense on the court, court to help them do that, it's, the team doesn't function the same way. 
because that's not that kind of player where he's going to ISO you to death. He doesn't do that. So, you know, that's my spiel. Uh, Dame over Steph for, for MVP um, this year, but Steph is at number four, which is respectable, and he should be happy with that. He's not winning MVP. Again, yeah, I think the main conversation around this was like, does he deserve to be in the MVP conversation? And the answer is obviously yes. Is he winning the MVP? Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. But one thing that I found interesting is that we did that poll right on Instagram with all the different categories and what should be weight based on stats and what should be based on record, right? The majority for each of the categories that we had, whether it was rookie of the year, everyone said that should be based on stats, right? And all the other categories, everyone said it should be based on stats. The majority said it should be based on stats, right? But when it came to MVP, everybody said record. So if, if that holds true, and that's what the majority of people think and whatnot, and, and we're basing, you know, the MVP and we're considering their record in that, Steph's not winning MVP. Their record's 15 and three. Yes, Steph's doing everything that he can. One thing that I admire about Steph is how hard he's playing, knowing that his team is trash right now. Knowing that he's struggling without, you know, Clay, knowing that um, like I said, he just had Draymond Wiseman still getting adjusted, as you said on last episode, Greg, to the, the NBA game and whatnot. But Steph is like, like we talked about, he's still shooting that high clip. He's Steph. That's what he does. He shoots the ball and he shoots the ball well. That's not going to change from season to season. He's going to continue to shoot uh, beyond the perimeter at a high percentage. So shooting above 51% and whatnot. But like, we got to go over the, some of the stats that he's had over the past 10 games. Like, this guy, is, he's averaging 30 points, and he has some crazy numbers. So I, I wrote them down, a few of them right down right now. But, like, he – in the past uh, – or four out, of, four out of the past 10 games, he had 32-plus points, right? Two of those games, he had 40 points, and then the other one was 57. And then um, there was, like, five or six games where he had above 25 points. Like, he's still getting buckets, and he, he – like I said, he's playing hard. And the one thing, like, when you watch him, like, yes, he, he comes off the screen and, and gets open shots. And um, he, he's someone that can break a defender down, too, just based on his, his ball skills and his handles, right? But at the same time, like, what he's doing, like, just, just his hustle is something that I'm noticing that, like, I haven't really seen from him so much in the past when he had Clay and he had KD. Now he, he feels like, all right, it's on me. Like, he's diving for loose balls and things like that. Like, he's being scrappy. Um, does that win him the MVP? I don't I don't think so. But at the same time, it's definitely something to acknowledge. Yo. I definitely want to touch on what Greg said, too, though, before we close this episode out. We're going to have to probably talk about it at some point. It might have to be a poll. With your breakdown of – Steph and how he's been playing this season once Draymond came back and how Dame is balling without his backcourt mate and CJ McCollum and he's still balling and has them as a number four seed. If he does this consistently, you might have to be having this conversation. Is Dame better than Steph? Um, you know, I, <laughs> we, won't, we won't get there. You know, people, people love Steph Curry in a way that they don't love many other NBA stars throughout the history of the game. You know, there's a love for Steph Curry that's a little bit different. So I, people won't want to admit it. But Dame doesn't need someone to set the table for him. And Steph Steph does. Steph can get you 30 points. I'm not, Steph can score 30 points some, anytime he wants, no matter who's, who he's playing with. Not the point. It affects winning. Draymond helps them win games. 
and when Stan's out there by himself with nobody set the table for him, they don't win. It's that simple. They don't win. And even when the, the team was stacked and they had KD and they had Clay and they had all those guys, they weren't winning without Draymond. Their record, their record suffered without Draymond on the court. They didn't look at the same team, right? A big reason why they lost that 2016 series, honestly, Draymond's suspension. And, and that was a big deal in that game six, not having him out there. It affects it, it has always affected Steph not having Draymond. Steph, Steph needs that. Like he needs that. That's the thing. So I, I'm not trying to take away from his greatness, nothing like that. He's an amazing player. I love Steph Curry, like everybody else. But I'm just I'm gonna keep it a stack. Always. That guy, the, the reality is like he he needs that piece to be effective. And other guys are in are in the league are doing it all. They do everything, and those t- and they affect winning while doing everything. And also, one more thing before we, we close this thing out. Yo, them polls, I didn't really like them because I don't like how we try to break it down between winning and stats. It's so much more than winning and stats with MVPs and the awards, bro. It really is. It's, it's team situation, too. And, and and one example I'll give you all is Nicole Jokic is number three with the by the writers right now in NBA, an MVP conversation, and I didn't even have him on my top five. And the reason why is because this team's completely healthy. Jamal Murray is exactly who I thought Jamal Murray was, inconsistent, which I don't like. I didn't buy into the hype in the bubble last year. I didn't buy it. He got hot, but he is streaky as all hell. And this and it's it's a problem <laughs> for that team. That's the so guess what? Like as great as Jokic has been playing, I don't think he's a top three MVP candidate. I really don't. They're 15 and 13. What is that? And I know record, I know I'm referring to the record, but I'm looking at it from a grand view, from the step from a time from the team perspective, right? They're underperforming as a team. There are guys not playing that great. He's playing great, but he doesn't get credit for what other guys aren't doing. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like th- th- these guys aren't carrying their weight. And while he's playing well, their record is not that great. They're just okay. So how is he top three by the writers? You see the inconsistency? You see, you see what I'm talking about? Because Brian didn't get the benefit of the doubt. What is it? Because Jokic is white and slow? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Like yeah, it always comes back down to race for Greg, man. I love it. Yo, it's so but it's so yo, bro. It you when you really boil down to it, bro, you gotta think about it, bro. There are players in the NBA that did, did not get that benefit of the doubt that are greater, that are far greater than Jokic. They just are. Bro, let me tell you something, man. That's a whole different podcast. We could do we could do a special on that, the MVP. We will do a special on that because as we get as we get closer to this to the season ending. And the MVP is up for grabs, and we're talking about it, even though it's not going to be up for grabs. People are going to be debating about it towards the end of the season. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about the inconsistency. There's a long list. We'll definitely talk about it. Before we head off, real quick, is tonight Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, is this a passing of the torch? Yes. Right now. I'm yes. watching. Looking like it. <laughs> Osaka's, Osaka's it. Osaka been the truth. Yeah. Osaka's, it's okay. It's okay, bro. Man, this girl, this girl went away. Serena's been doing this for so long. It doesn't take away from her. She's the greatest. She, she the, she's arguably the greatest athlete of all time. It's her and Bron for me. It's her and Bron for me. You, uh, interchangeable. It's okay. But yeah, every, every needs that too. You know, you need to pass the torch on to somebody, and I'm just happy it's a sister passing on to another sister. Facts. Also, you know, I, I would agree with Chris, but Brian not giving up that torch anytime soon. <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, he got years left in the tank the way he take care of the body and the money that he spent on his body. But at the same time, like, man, tennis is in good hands between her and um, who's co- the Coco girl from Florida, right? Um, 
This is in good hands, man. We're not even worried. Facts, but you already know the vibes. Bench mob, you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. We out. Peace. Oh, at least my eyes can